people go, oh, Tony Hawk is famous because he's one of the original skaters. Well, maybe. He's famous because he's one of the original skaters that kept skating even when nobody cared about skating. But when skating wasn't de rigueur or popular anymore, they just gave up. They don't care. They went to rollerblading. Well, where are they now? Welcome to Noah Kagan Presents. What up, party people? It's your boy, Egg White, a.k.a. Rabbi Canlose, a.k.a. Noah Kagan. In today's episode, I talked to my close friend, Jordan Harbinger, the co-founder of the Top 50 iTunes podcast, Art of Charm. He features awesome stories from really impressive guests like Shaq, Tony Hawk, and Noah Kagan. (laughs) But Jordan is more than just a podcaster. He's ex-CIA, I think, an escape game expert. He's done over 150 with his wife, and I'm addicted to them too now, and a master storyteller. So if you're looking to improve your everyday conversations, you'll enjoy this episode. Here's three key things you're going to learn how long Jordan spends preparing for his shows, and how you can use those same tips for job interviews, conversations, and more. Second, our favorite questions to ask people to get amazing stories. And three, the best ways to just improve straight up your conversation skills. Enjoy. A quick call to action for you guys. Tweet me at Noah Kagan, N-O-A-H-K-A-G-A-N, your favorite questions to ask people when you meet them. I'll post my favorites on my account. On the air, we're with Jordan Harbinger, host of artofcharm.com. Obviously, you are a spy. But what I'm just curious about is like, which country are you a spy for? You speak multiple languages. Right. You married an international wife. Right. You've been all over the world. You've been held hostage. Are you a spy? No. But you're trained. Spies are trained to say, though. You are highly trained. You've been doing an interview show, Art of Charm, a podcast for how long now? Over 10 years. And how many people do you think you've talked to? That's a good question. At least a thousand. A thousand. A thousand. I wanted to start dissecting and see what you've learned about how to have better conversations, how to talk to people. Like, where do you even begin? Do you ever worry about over prepping? Like, let's say you're going to do a job interview or yeah. for you with, with these podcast interviews. Do you ever over prep? Because I found myself with some of these shows, I'd over prep, have tons of questions, and then feel so rigid around it where yeah. I couldn't be flexible and have a conversation. Yeah, you have this problem. And this happens in real life conversations as well because you can over prep for any kind of conversation or you can have too many questions. And if the questions are not based in curiosity, you're in trouble. I always have a ton more questions than I get to even on my hour long plus interview. And the reason is because I'll be like, why'd you title your book? Steal the show. And I think I know the answer is going to be like, oh, because stage performance. But what if he said something like, oh, well, you know, it was the name of my first boat. And since it sank in that crazy accident, you know, I decided to name the book that. And it also, of course, means that somebody who's a great performer, da, da, da. If you have your questions and you're being rigid, you might go, cool. So what are top three tips that you have for someone who wants to really be a good speaker? Obviously, I would like to think that most people who are good conversationalists will then go, what are you talking about? Crazy boat accident where your boat sunk. Then you're going to get a story. Or if they go, oh, yeah, my boat sank in a crazy accident and they think it's off topic, you can go, well, tell us that story. You can always cut stuff later, right? But if you're in a real life conversation, since you're not in it for a result, generally, unless it's like a certain type of job interview, if you're just having dinner with friends, you don't need to get a result. So you have to have your curiosity, but then you should also sacrifice it in favor of something that's a good story. I think that's a really important part. I was talking to this guy this morning who does promotion for rappers. Sweet. It was really fascinating. He's Jewish. Of course, they're in the music industry. Mm-hmm. They're taking over. But what was interesting is that the part I was really looking for, besides being curious, I was just like, tell me more stories. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's actually a great interview, a great conversation. It's like get them to want to actually share more stories. 
it's better to have stories because stories include all the elements that people need to have a successful or interesting conversation and they happen in an organic way. So all these questions that you're asking during interviews or during conversations, generally they're designed to get a certain type of answer, right? Like, oh, why'd you start AppSumo and Sumo Me? You could be like, well, I wanted to make money, so I wanted to start a business and I didn't want to work for a regular company, so I decided to start my own. And I also wanted to work from anywhere. These are answers I'm making up on your behalf, right? These are probably not true. But I could get all of those answers in a more interesting way if I was like, so how did you come to the idea of starting your own company, Sumo? And you're like, well, one day I was walking down the road and I got hit by a car and I was like, oh, my insurance is terrible because Chipotle buys terrible insurance. The only way to get great health insurance is to have your own company. And so I was like, I need to do my own thing, but I had no ideas. So I got the idea because I went to a sumo match. Totally. That's way more interesting than here's all these reasons that I would put on a form. Do you think the important part on this though is how you're framing the question? Because I've noticed that when I'm talking to people, I'm very considerate if I say the word how versus tell me and what that leads to. Like if I'm talking to you and I say, you know, how'd you make that decision? Then you actually have this open painting canvas that you can start exploring. Well, how did I make it in this and this versus like, why did you do that? Mm-hmm. You're like, well, I did it because of this. It kind of is more limiting and just being aware of like the opening word. You got to open it up as much as possible. The opening words help a lot. And the more sort of blue sky you can really make the potential answer, the better. So for example, why did you do that? That's okay. It's not great. But I might say, what's a recent challenge that you really had trouble remedying? That's a really specific question. It's specific when I let it go, but then I might even find something in my prep that says, I heard you were circumcised as an adult. And you might go, yeah. I might say something like, I heard that's a trend now that a lot of people are doing. What do you make of that? Oh, that's interesting. You can just say pretty much anything there. You can tell a story. You can explain a greater trend. You could tell me why you did it. You can just answer the question that you want. So I love that. The two things you got me thinking about is, let's say you interviewed Tony Hawk or you interviewed Shaq, you interviewed these people. Right. Where do you start? So you do the prep, you got these questions. Where do you start with them? Like, hey, Shaq, what, tell me about your rap song. Yeah. So with Shaq, I don't remember the first question that I asked him, but it was probably something along the lines of, you've been in the forefront A-list level celebrity for as long as I can remember, since I was in middle school or high school, not to make you feel old. Why are you still working? I think that was probably how oh, I started. that's good. Dude, he probably has like $100 million, $200 million. Why are you still working? He could either go, oh man, I'm broke after that whole f- casino fiasco. Whoa, what casino fiasco? Or he can say, I don't want to get bored. You'd get bored? You have a ton of money. Can't you entertain yourself that way? No, I like working because this, that, or oh, I always... His answer to that question, I did ask him some variation of that at some point, was just that he wants to try everything. Like he's a cop now. He's learned how to fly planes, I think, or something like that. He used to collect cars, but then he just got bored of that and stopped and sold them all. So with the opening for Shaq, it was just thinking of something like, here's a question and why, and then let him go with it and then exploring it from there. The second part of that is how do you avoid just asking the standard shit like, Shaq, so you on TNT a lot, or what's the deal with the story? The questions they always get that they're expecting. Yeah. So you can find out what those are by watching interviews that they've been in. So when I prep, I might watch like, top five interviews with Tony Hawk or like the top three interviews with Tony Hawk that are longer than five minutes. Because five minute interviews are like, Tony, you're still skating after all these years. You must really love it. Yeah, I love it. Cool. Well, it's great seeing you out here. Why are you doing this? I want to help kids build skate parks. Great. But if you listen to an hour long interview, 
you can find, okay, tons of people have asked him questions like, what's next for you? And I'm like, ah, I can throw that in at the end. It doesn't really elicit anything about their personality. It might, but it, it really builds on other things. So for Tony Hawk, I was like, hey, what's one thing that you would have changed about the way that you're branded now? Or why did you keep skating even when nobody cared about it and it wasn't popular? That was one of the things that I asked Tony Hawk was, why'd you keep skating even though nobody cared about it? And he told me stories like, oh, I used to go to France for like a demo for a day and I'd come back and I would have made like 40 bucks, but I got fed and I got in a magazine in France. So that was worth it. But it was just a place to sleep in a hotel and a couple of bucks for food. And I got to go to France for a day. And it's like, what? He was doing that for 10 years. Nobody cared about skating in like the mid 80s to the mid 90s or something like that. Nobody cared about it at all. It went out of fashion and it stayed out of fashion for a decade. He just kept practicing. So people go, oh, Tony Hawk is famous because he's one of the original skaters. Well, maybe. What he was able to tell us through story was he's famous because he's one of the original skaters that kept skating even when nobody cared about skating. There are hundreds, thousands of other skaters that were better than him in 1985, but when skating wasn't de rigueur or popular anymore, they just gave up. They don't care. They went to rollerblading. Well, where are they now, right? Or they went to surfing and that's where they stayed. It sounds like a lot of what you do is you just stay curious. You're listening for the kind of inflection points or the points that are a little bit different and then trying to go deeper. And I like the other thing that you did, which is like, hey, give me an example of that or what actually happened right there. What do you think some of the most common mistakes in interviews or just when you're at dinners or when you're out that people are making? People will ask questions that either they don't care about the answer, they're not listening to the answer because they don't care about it, or for the sake of starting a conversation, but they're not giving that person any space. Usually those all come in trios, right? Where it's like, oh, hey, how long have you lived in Austin? Cool. Why'd you move here? And you're like, I literally just told you that when I said how long I've lived here. And they're like, oh, sorry, I was distracted by the menu. Because they're just like trying to get you to talk while they do something else. Or they're not giving you any space. They're like, oh, how long have you lived in Austin? Well, I've been here for a couple of years. Oh, okay. What do you do? Uh, we're on this company. It's an internet company. Oh, cool. My friend runs an internet company. Uh, I was thinking about getting a job there, you know, but they're not giving you any space either because they're talking or because they're asking for specifics and they feel like that's how people converse. My job often is to get the other person talking and just stand back and let it work. You know, you're doing a good job with this when you're sitting down, you're chatting with someone at a table. And this happens to me a lot and I don't notice it in the moment, but I noticed it starting a few years ago that this was happening more and more. I'd be at a dinner, for example, and I'd be like, oh, did you make your dress yourself? And she'll be like, actually, my friend did. And I'm like, that's super cool. How did she know exactly what you would want? Or did she have to tailor it afterwards? I'm fascinated by that because I don't think I could make clothing for anyone and have them actually like it. She'll start talking about the story of how Takes this came out. And, and then I'm like, oh, let me see it now. <laughs> So we're doing that. And then meanwhile, I'll notice that like all other eight people at the table are just listening to what I'm saying to her and what she's saying to me. Often you can find that the bubble will pop because like I might notice them or she might go, oh, and then notice everyone's looking at her. And then she's like, oh, uh, sorry, we're monopolizing the conversation. And everyone's like, no, no, this is really interesting. So what is it that you're doing or what's going on? That is creating space for the other person to talk about something that they're passionate about. And everyone else at the table who's like, so, uh, you like the music, they sense the passion or the interest or the emotion of that conversational thread and it's magnetic. So other people will start listening to that particular conversational thread and they're like, I was gonna ask if you like ravioli, but this is more interesting. So they'll start slowly paying attention and if groups of people who are talking start paying attention at the same time, 
then you can get the whole audience wrapped. I think that's a really interesting point just in general is that next time people are out at a conversation, they're out at dinner, they're doing an interview, they're at a job interview, they're selling. Right. Notice when the moments that you're most engaged. Like notice if you're engaged in the conversation or if there's another conversation going on and you're more interested in that. Like, right. And try to pay attention what the hell is happening. We were talking last night about when people are ending things, they always blame the other person. Yeah. And it was in Ben Franklin's uh, biography where that taught me not to do it, where, hey, I know you're busy. I got to go. So just as a tip, I love it when people are just like, hey, I'm busy. I need to get going. Not trying to excuse the other person. The thing I was wondering in interviews or like dinner parties, it's hard for me to end. Like, you know, in baseball, there's nine innings. It's clear. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes when I'm chatting with people, I don't know how to end or what time it's like, all right, now is the time I cut it off. What have you noticed that with your chats? You can either leave the soft open so you can say something like, well, I'd love to continue this conversation, but I've got to get going. That's fine. That's not rude at all. Because then instead of, well, I've got to get going where they're like, oh, did they lose interest? You can be like, I'd love to keep going here, but I've got to run. That's fine. But yeah, you're right. When people say like, well, I want to be conscious of your time. And you're like, no, we booked an hour for this and it's been 42 minutes. So are you just bored or what? That's actually maybe a good thing to do because then that will open up a new conversation and you can explore. Yeah, I'm bored because of this. Yeah. No, actually, I just thought that you wouldn't want to keep talking or I thought you were not talking about this because you seem really cagey. And then so what do you normally do when you end your interviews? I normally say, hey, is there anything else that I haven't asked you that you think I should have? Uh, no. Or they're like, buy my book. And then I edit that out. Or one in five times they're like, actually, you know, I really think that the most important takeaway from our conversation was... I was thinking yesterday, some guy was like, well, what's your one last tip for my audience? I'm like, bitch, I just did 45 minutes of tips. <laughs> like, I had t- t- Last tip, go back and re-listen to this and actually take notes and pay attention. When you're doing your prep with these people, what I started out when I started this show, I would have literally like 15 to 20 questions. And we talked about being too rigid. And what I noticed though is, and I don't know who gave me this suggestion, they're like, you can only ask them three questions. Like, you only get three And I started just really doing that with my shows where it's like, I only get three questions for the person I'm Mm -hmm. talking to. And it really made me prioritize what kind of journey do I want to take them and then the listeners on? Because each of those questions can be like super deep rabbit holes. So for you, like when you're doing your prep, one, how long does it take? And two, what stuff do you cut? What stuff do you actually not bring to your interview? Those are two great questions uh, out of your three that you get. (laughs) So I spend about 10 hours per guest prepping. 10 hours. Yeah, around 10. Because If I'm prepping for, let's see who I'm prepping for right now. I'm going to open up my phone, bust out Audible. I'm interviewing my friend, Robin Dreek, who wrote this book called The Code of Trust. He's the chief spy hunter for America, actually. He's a chief counterintelligence guy. So I want to read that book. That book is seven or eight hours long. And then I want to reread his older book, or at least re-listen to my interview with him about his other book, so I can pick up things that I might have left out of that. Then I'll probably look for any magazine or press that he's got out there, and it's probably going to be something small. I'll go through all that. As I'm doing all that, I have a Google Doc open on my phone or on my computer. So you'll go deeper on things that you find curious, but you have a pretty good angle that you're coming in with. I think the thing that's fascinating that people may not even get is that you're a professional. Right. Most people are like, I'm going to do a podcast. One, they only do it for a year. Or episode 13, and then they're like, nah, Exactly. Hard. Yeah, this is hard. So one, you've done it 10 years now? Yeah. I just want to recognize that. And I keep saying in every one of my shows is that anyone who's a master, Bader, is doing it for at least 10 years. Yeah. I've been on this show like seven months, but I've been running internet companies 17 years. Sure. I'm like, yeah, I've been doing this a long time. So number one, it takes a long time. Someone asked me in the past, like, how did AppSumo beat all the competitors? Or how has Sumo done relatively well? And I said, we're professionals. Like, this is a full-time, all-day, everyday thing. Right. 
for the people listening, what is one thing for themselves to be better at asking questions? What is something that they could do right now, today, before the end of their day that they can do to, to be a better interviewer or just conversationalist? Conversationalist, definitely ask questions with the agenda of actually figuring out the answer to that question or a story that's entertaining if you're in a conversation. This is different for like podcast interviews, for example. But if I'm at dinner with people, I just want to elicit personality because I want to get to know them better. I may want to actually know how they started their business, but really I probably can get that later in a one-on-one conversation. But if I'm with other folks, I just want to elicit personality from somebody who's maybe being quiet. So a lot of folks will be like, oh, when did you move here? Well, okay, do you really care how long I've lived in San Jose? Or are you just like, we should be talking right now? So sometimes I'll say, well, I moved here when I decided that I was sick of LA and I wanted to branch out from my company down there. And I met my wife and her family lived up here. So that was about the right time. They don't care like, oh, 2014. They don't care about that. That's a really great point. So I think what you do as a question asker is actually kind of ask these kind of pointed questions with a big open. Right. The thing that I was thinking about, one of my things that I like to do is two different kind of strategies when I'm trying to ask people questions or talk is number one, I make up things about them. And that sounds really strange, but I'll meet someone. I'm like, you really look like a rock climber. And I do this a lot. And you make something up and they say, actually, no, I'm not a rock climber, but I love this. And that just sparks like this whole kind of wide ranging story exploration and frankly builds a really cool relationship. Yeah. So I don't want people going out to be like, hey, you look like a serial killer. Like that's probably not a good one, but kind of make assumptions about people and then they'll say no, but then they will open it to something else. The second one I was thinking about is that where are you from? What do you I think just like ask questions that are a little bit more open-ended. So like, hey, what are your favorite highlights of your trip? What were your favorite things to do in Austin? Mm-hmm. And then they'll kind of start from there. And then you go and explore those different pockets. Definitely. You're, yeah. Your job is to sort of either pour water in the cracks and then freeze it so that they open up, right? This is a Michigan analogy. It doesn't work in Austin. <laughs> People are like, freeze the water outside? No. Or to create space for them to essentially showcase their personality because otherwise it's a boring conversation. Most likely. The thing I would like to leave the audience with is what is more resources for just getting better at conversations? Like, is it more like go and watch a YouTube video specifically or their books or their courses? Like, what do you recommend if you want to improve conversing? I always recommend hiring coaches wherever possible for something like this. If you're interviewing professionally, if you're just asking questions and becoming a better conversationalist, I think going to improv classes, which teach yes and and playing off things other people have said are great for people who go, oh, I'm freezing up in the moment. It's like, tell me a good story. It's like, just conversation, interviewing, getting great stories out. And I've noticed as an interviewer, we lead people. If I take you here, you'll go that way. Yeah. It's funny because it is a skill. Well, that's a wrap. I hope you liked my conversation with Jordan Harbinger. If you did, say hi to Jordan on Twitter world at The Art of Charm, or check out his podcast, The Art of Charm. Next, text a friend and tell him, yo, dog, I love you. Let's make Eagle Waffles together. Three, have a magnificent day. What's your favorite brand of bottled water?